Have you ever tried something or added something to your life that you first discovered on social media? Um, on Instagram, I recently learned of laundry stripping. I almost called it clothes stripping, but I thought that might lead to some confusion. Um, <laughs> but it's basically soaking your dirty stuff is all. It's, it's just a fancy way to do that. And so instead of putting it in a bucket or in your washing machine, you fill your bathtub up with as hot a water as you can get out of the faucet, you pour in a few different things, you put in whatever you want to soak, and you let it soak like the whole day. Like a lot of times it's like 12 to 15 hours, and almost immediately when you put stuff in, you'll see the water start to change color, and it's horrifying um, and gross. And so um, there are these people who will do this, and they will show you like the progress, like here's one hour, here's two hours, here's three hours, and then what I love is a good before and after shot, you know, like if they do a split picture of like before and after of like a, like um, one I saw that was really impressive was like, this is my dad's farm hat. He wears this ball cap every day and has for a year and it's never been washed. And you think like, well, just burn it, you know, and then they pull it out and it looks brand new and it's really impressive. And so um, we tried that this week and we did all of our, all, every white t-shirt in the house and clean these had been through the washer, right? And Abby goes and, and puts them in the bathtub, and she immediately is like, the water's already turning colors. What? Oh, it's disgusting. And we start taking pictures. And then all day long, we're all like running in, like, how, how gross is it now? You know? And, and uh, it, it made a difference. You know? It really did. It was, it was kind of crazy. Um, but what social media does, it shows you these things, and you think, I've never heard of that. I've never tried that. A lot of those things are nonsense, but there's enough of that stuff that's so intriguing that it kind of draws you in. And because of that, I have several of what I will call, I've never named them, but several for what I'll call um, almost hobbies. They are things where I've been intrigued, I've learned, I've really kind of gone on some deep dive learning experiences about some things. Um, I've even bought some stuff, equipment type stuff, you know, but never followed through on any of them. Uh, for instance, um, I, a few years ago, did a really big, like, research, I don't even know what to call it, like, just months of research on how to roast your own coffee beans. Because according to the internet, that's the only way to get good coffee. You know, and so I know a lot about how to roast beans, how to do it at home, how to do it effectively, all that stuff. Never roasted a bean. Never. Not once have I done that. Um, I got really into uh, lawn care um, and not because here's what you, you get on social media and you, there's like these dads. They're not even professional like lawn care guys. They're just regular dads who get like super into having these beautiful yards and what's amazing about it is you'll look at it, and their yard will be like all one thing. And what I mean by that is that most yards, at least in my experience, growing up, our yard was this way, and most of my friends' yards were this way, are a mixture of different kinds of grass, of clover, of weeds, dandelions, crabgrass, and then weird bare spots here, there, and ever that won't grow anything no matter what you do to it, Okay. But yet you'll see online these, these yards that are one breed of grass, and it's beautiful, and it looks like a golf course. And these guys are like, one guy I saw, he was like scissoring along the edge of his sidewalk, and I was like, that's a bit much, but, but yet the outcome was so beautiful, it was just mind, mind-boggling. And so i like, how do you do this? How do you accomplish this? And I did a bunch of research about it. I don't even mow my own grass. Like, why did I do this? It doesn't make any sense, um, but that's kind of what uh, it, it does. Um, another one is Instagram. Uh, I've, I've come across these 
um, pages of like, not like trendy fashion, like how to be like up with the coolest trends, but like classic fashion, like how to be in style and never go out of style. And one of the big things of that, especially with men's fashion, is you got to have a few like staple pairs of shoes, like classics that never go out of style. And so I have a bunch of browser tabs open on my phone of shoes that I supposedly need, but that I'm too cheap to buy. And so they sit there forever, like my emotional support internet browser tabs open forever in perpetuity on my phone, I guess until I get a new phone. And you know what? I'm probably going to get that new phone out, open those browser tabs up and get to the website and save them on my new phone too because it's, that's what it wants you to do. And so that's how uh, some of this stuff works. And so I have all of these sort of almost hobbies that I've never super followed through on. And so the reason I think why I've never followed through on them is because I kind of realized, like, I don't need this stuff. My life doesn't need this. I don't have the time that I want to invest in some of these hobbies. But when you're looking there and seeing other people's lives, you get drawn into this, well, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty nice. Maybe my life would be better if I had those sorts of things. And so um, I know that happens to everybody. It happens to all of us. If we get on social media, even for a minute, you'll see things that make you think, that's the kind of life I need. And one great example of, I will bet money that somebody in this room has installed shiplap in their house in the last 10 years. You went your whole life. Most of you didn't know what shiplap was, or at least didn't care about shiplap. And then Joanna Gaines convinced you that your house isn't a home without shiplap, and now there's shiplap everywhere on everything. And so uh, just for the sake of, of doing it, for those of you that are watching online, what is one thing that the internet has convinced you that you need? Write in the comments. I'm curious to see what your thing is. Maybe it's coffee beans. I, in fact, after I got into it, I found a guy who roasts his own coffee beans and loves it. Freezes them, dates them, the whole shebang, loves it. And then I, you know, I, then I cornered him like, okay, what do you do? You know, because that's how this works. Um, but anyway, what social media does, it dares us. It taunts us to compare our lives to the lives of other people, whether we know them or not. And it doesn't matter how much you have or don't have, you will always be able to find somebody whose life is that next step up or they have a certain angle or something in their life that you think, I need that, I want that, I have to be that. And it makes you feel insecure about yourself. And what's true, if, if we could ever get it into our brains, is that even if you could upgrade everything in your life and be the ideal version of yourself with the ideal life that you had, there would still be something that popped up online that made you realize, oh, I could still be better. I could still have more. I could still want that if only I could. And that's just the way that it works. And so uh, one time years ago, I heard Andy Stanley say, there is no win in comparison. And it's true. There's no win when we start comparing ourselves to other people, but that's what our world now, today, invites us to do. It's been doing it for years through magazines and commercials and all of that stuff, but man, social media, it just it made it like where we can just scroll through dozens of them per minute. It just like amped it up and put it on hyperspeed into our lives, and so what it does when we start comparing, though, is it leads to disappointment, and it starts breeding this emotion in our heart called envy. Envy, a nasty little emotion called envy. Now, for the last few weeks, we have been in this series called From Within, and we have started um, 
every week by looking at some very powerful words that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 15. And at first glance, they don't seem that powerful, but they really are. Um, In verse 11, Jesus told his disciples, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. He was talking with people who, uh, the Jewish leaders who had very strict dietary laws. And he's like, no, 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 it's not what goes in that's going to mess you up. The real problem is what comes out of you. And he goes on to explain why. In verse 18, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It comes from who you are as a person. It reveals your soul. When, when Those moments when you blow up at somebody, when you get angry, those things you say, those things you feel, those are what defile you. Not what goes in. It's not the outside stuff that's all tricky, but the inside stuff that's really going to be a problem for you. And what really causes trouble in your life and my life is not those outside problems. It's not the circumstances that upset you and hurt you and the people that are rude and mean and and inconvenient to your life and all that stuff. The the worst things you have to deal with in your life are the, the evil, sinful desires and emotions that live in your broken human heart. And Jesus, all through his ministry, made it clear that even you can even like, act the right way and say the right things, but it doesn't count because your heart is corrupted. Your heart is broken. And what he really wants to do is not just make you be a person who knows how to act the right way in the right situations and keep your mouth shut when you should keep your mouth shut. No, he wants to actually remake you from the inside out so that you can be the kind of person who experiences the freedom and joy that Jesus intended for us all to feel. And so my trouble is always going to be the sin that I let drive my heart, drive my conversations, drive my reactions, drive my decisions. And if you want proof that you have evil living in your heart, um, look no further than our culture's kind of obsession with scandals. I mean, for whatever reason, you, you, wanna, you put a scandal in the news, the clicks and the view rate goes up. And there's something in us, whether, let's say it's a celebrity, they have everything you've ever wanted, the kind of house, the pool, they have all the money, right? And then something happens, they do something or something just happens, and their life starts to implode. And there's that little thing inside of us that's like, yes. Now, just to be clear, that's evil to, to take joy in the downfall of another human being's life. That's not, uh, that's, you know, growing up, when we all had the WWJD bracelets on, right? That's not a what would Jesus do moment. Like, what would Jesus do? He would throw a party because that person's life just fell apart. No, that's not how this works. He's not, he doesn't want us to be the kind of people who take joy in the downfall of others. And sometimes it's not just those nameless, you know, celebrities that we will never meet. Sometimes it's the person that lives across the street who always seems to have the nicer car, the better looking lawn, the better grill. They, they have the kind of luck where everything just works out for them. And you feel like your whole life's an uphill battle. And you're just like, how do they get it? And I deserve it, not them. And then something happens in their life. And you go, yeah, good. Let's put them down a peg. That's evil. That's, that's evil living in your heart. And now, nobody might ever know that you feel that way because we're all smart enough to know, I probably shouldn't say this out loud. Like, you, do, you don't go outside and go, Bill, it's about time God took you down a peg. Woo! Like, you don't do that, right? You keep it to yourself, but it's still evil, whether you let it out or you don't. That's how this works. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of envy living in your hearts. And it's one of the ugliest emotions that can live in your heart. Um, I mean, just 
period. Because the th- other things we've been talking about, like two weeks ago we talked about guilt and the, the, the danger that guilt carried around in your heart can, can bring into your life. But guilt can at least like reveal that you have problems in your life so that you can correct them, right? That's at least a little bit of, guilt can do a little bit of good there. Uh, last week we talked about anger. Um, and we spent most of our time talking about unholy anger, but anger in itself at least has the ability to point out things that are legitimately wrong in life and say, hey, maybe I should do something to fix this. So anger can even have like positive directions in your life. But envy? There's no good that could ever come out of envy in your heart. There's no positive side to envy. You disliking another person because they have something you don't, there's no, there's no upswing to that. It's just looking out to the lives of others to try to validate your existence rather than to be just satisfied with who God made you to be and the life that you live. There's no positive side to that. It's just you living in, sitting in the evil of your heart. That's why um, one of the wisest men who ever lived, a guy named Solomon, he wrote this in, the, in uh, the Old Testament book called Proverbs, which if you don't know the book of Proverbs, it's kind of like fortune cookies, like a bunch of fortune cookie type statements that are just about how to be wiser and better at life. And so uh, in Proverbs 14.30, Solomon writes this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Envy rots the bones, meaning that while you're focused on those other people and their accomplishments, all that stuff, you know, about how smart their kids are, how athletic their kids are, how cool their new stuff is, whatever it is, um, you're looking out worried about their life. Envy is eating away at you from the inside out. It ruins your life, and the real problem is you don't even notice it because you're not looking at your life. You're looking at somebody else's life. And so you don't notice what it's doing to you. In another one of his writings, Solomon breaks down what makes envy so dangerous and what makes it so painful when we become a little too fixated on the lives of other people. And so we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in another book that Solomon wrote called Ecclesiastes, which um, a, a couple of the things Solomon wrote, not the most uplifting books in the world. Um, Ecclesiastes is not the biggest bummer book he wrote. That would be the book Lamentations. Um, that's a sad book. Um, but Ecclesiastes is full, again, of wisdom in, in ways that brings to light some of the things that we overlook, some of the things we take for granted. And it's amazing how this wisdom hasn't become out of date in the last, like, 3,000-plus years since he wrote these words down. And the reason we want to look at this stuff is because so that maybe the next time we start to look out at somebody whose life is falling apart and we go, yeah, we'll start to recognize that thing inside us and go, whoa, whoa, what is that? That doesn't need to be there. Okay, Envy, no, you don't get to drive my life. You don't get to be in charge anymore. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says, then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. What he's saying is that all that back-breaking overwork, I can't ever stop, I got to keep going, all of that drive to keep getting more and more and more and achieve and strive, it has its root in ultimately you comparing yourself and your life to the life of someone else. 
that you are trying to have a life that was not your life to have. You're trying to have what someone else has. And Solomon calls this vanity. He says, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Um, Vanity is not a word that we... um, look at a lot anymore in our society. A lot of uh, modern translations will say, uh, put this as meaningless or futility. Um, But the word in Hebrew literally means a vapor, something that comes and goes in a moment. Um, Think about when you're cooking a meal, and there's maybe you're making pasta, you're boiling the noodles, what's coming off all that bubbling pasta water, right? All that vapor. Are you trying to keep that? Are you thinking, oh, man, all that good stuff's getting away? No, it just, woof, and it's gone, right? It's the most unimportant thing. You don't even think about it. It's just the natural part of cooking a meal. It's, it's nothing. And the fact that it comes and it goes, and one idea wrapped up in this is that not only does it go, but you can't stop it from going. It's going to disappear even if you try to make it not disappear. That's how this works. And Solomon says, you toiling to have a... A life beyond what God has given you. You working and striving and wanting to achieve. All of that is vanity, and it's ultimately a striving after the wind, which is a great word picture for a couple of reasons. Okay, if I ask any one of you, hey, can you go outside and get me a couple of handfuls of wind? Like, a bit, like, you can't go out there and be like, okay, he wanted a big old scoop, so I'm going to get up some wind. You can't, like, grab a bunch and throw it over your shoulder and, like, walk in with your hands full. Like, no, you can't. It's impossible. You can't grab the wind. And even if I said, okay, well, just chase it. Don't even try to grab it. Just chase it. When do you stop? Never. The wind blows, and it keeps on blowing. It just always goes. It's somewhere else to be. And that's this picture, he says, when you strive thinking, if once I get that, then, not, then my life will make sense. Once I have a little more, then my life will, then I can be satisfied, then I can be happy. No, it never, ever stops. When you are comparing your life to other people, there's no finish line. You never get to be done. You will go and go and go. It's like trying to scratch an itch that's always out of reach. At night, oftentimes when I'm helping my kids, we're putting them to bed, reading them stories and all that stuff, it is very common for them to, hey, can you scratch this itch on my back, right? And no matter where I start scratching, even if I nail it right on the first time, they're like, okay, now down, down, right, right, up, 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 down, or left, left. Like, it, it moves. Like, and if you've probably had this, someone scratching your back, and you're like, no, keep, keep going. Yeah, you're like trying to like, you're trying to move yourself to re, like, position their hands so because it moves around. That's kind of the same thing. Like, you can keep scratching, and you might get a moment where, like, yeah, that's it. But that goes away, too. It's vanity. It's chasing the wind. It cannot go. You will never be satisfied when you are chasing the accomplishments in the life of someone else. And this level of comparison, this level of envy has so permeated our culture that it's, it's wreaking havoc on us and we don't even know it anymore because envy is really not seen as a bad thing anymore. We just call it ambition. Look how driven they are. Look how, much, look how, look how goal-oriented they are. And I, feel, I, I really worry about a, a younger generation who has grown up with social media being everything, every part of their life because they've grown up, look at that person. Look at that YouTuber's mansion. I could have a mansion like that. Look at their life. Look at that car they have. Look at, look at Mr. Beast giving away his millions of dollars. And there's YouTubers, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these. They just have stacks of money. And they'll play a game with their buddy, and it's like, whoever wins the game gets to keep their stack of money. Which, here's what I wonder every time I do that. I'm like, it was already your stack of money. 
Like you just went to the bank or went to a movie prop house and got stacks of money. It's already their money. They're not getting anything out of it. That's just money watching from a dad perspective and being like, this is dumb. But anyway, um, but, they, but we watch this, right? And do you know how many people's lives are being drained, ruined by this comparison and looking at other people's lives and thinking, that's real life. What I have is not real life. That person matters. I don't matter. Because they're better, they're, they, they have more, they've accomplished more, they've got more, they, they're, they're skinnier, they look better, they've got newer clothes, better stuff, they're cooler than I am. And every facet of life is comparison and looking at what other people have. And there are people whose lives are lived in this eternal state of depression because they feel not worth it. They feel like they don't matter as a human being because they've been raised to chase the wind. And there's no purpose and no meaning in their life other than looking around and seeing everybody else has it better than me. And it's absolutely heartbreaking because that's not reality. This culture that we've created and that we've raised ourselves to be okay with, it doesn't give you eyes to see reality and what is true. Because the reality is that you have value because the creator of the universe who made the massive black holes and galaxies and, and infinite parts of space that we will never even be able to understand or see, that God who is so powerful and so big decided that you were worth making. You, you exist because he wanted you to exist. He decided roses should be in the world, but he also decided you should be in the world. He decided joy and rainbows and happiness should exist. And he also made you and thought you also should exist. The world needs you too. And so we have value as human beings because God knew we had a purpose, knew we had a place, and wanted us to be here. And you can disappoint yourself, but you can never disappoint God to the point where he's not going to love you anymore. Or he's going to say, oh, what a mistake I've made. You don't matter. You don't, you don't belong here anymore. No. God's love for us is persistent. Um, in 1 John, this is a book in the New Testament, one of Jesus' closest friends wrote these words. He said, in this is love, not that we have loved God, meaning not that we did anything worth being impressed about. He's like, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation, it means an offering that turns away wrath. Meaning that, yes, we'd done the bad things. We did what God didn't want us to do. We'd sinned, and God's hatred of sin was on us, for, and his wrath was pointed toward us for the, the, the sin that we carried. But he sent his son to be the offering so that we didn't have to suffer that wrath, so that we could be free. Because God loved you so much that even when you did the wrong thing, even when you disappointed him, you, you, he still loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die in your place so that he could have you with him forever in his presence forever. So this idea that I'm not good enough, my life is miserable, I, I'm not like them, I'll never be like them, I'm not good enough, that's nonsense. And that's not the way God looks at the world and it's not the way he looks at you. Envy is poison. And the truth is you are loved exactly as you are. And so Solomon goes on talking about envy because there's another way that envy can be expressed that's not just in constantly going and constantly trying to have more. So Solomon says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. This is like reverting from the over-hyper-achievement mindset to just, well, I can't keep up with them. I'll never have what they have, so I'll just give up. 
I'm, I'm just going to sit here and just be sad in my little life and be worthless in my little life and go through every day thinking I don't matter and I just give up because I'll never achieve and I'll never be cool and I'll never have all the things like everybody else. I'll never uh, be skinny like she is. I'll never have muscles like that guy. And we uh, you know, just give up. And the problem with that is it's the opposite reaction, but it's still born out of envy. It's still you comparing your life to someone else and letting that drive how you live. And Solomon is saying that that is just as foolish as the chasing the wind, as never stopping and trying to have more. Both, both lead to the same place, whether it's endless work or apathy. They both end in being discontented with your life. And so he goes on and gives us, again, wisdom that if you, if you open this up out of fortune cookie, You'd be like, oh, that's cute, and you'd throw it away, not thinking anything about it. But it's so incredibly profound, and it's so, it's so foreign to our ears. Nobody talks about this anymore. Ecclesiastes 4, 6, he says, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Meaning, it is better for you to have a little in your life with contentment and peace and satisfaction and joy and gratitude than to have a lot and to have it never feel like enough. It's better for you to be where you are and be grateful for what God has given you in your life, grateful for the person that he has made you to be, rather than to get on a treadmill of never-ending success or chasing after success. Uh, the Hebrew word quietness is a word that means rest, relief. Uh, some, sometimes I've saw it translated calmness. Quiet. Okay, not scrambling, not furious, not frantic. Now, some of you, th- this will be hard for you just because of the way you're wired. Like, some of you, are, we're just like, I got to go. You wake up, like, your alarm goes off, boom, got to go. And from the second your eyes open, you're doing stuff, you're accomplishing. I mean, you're checking things off the to-do list until it's time. You go to bed, okay, turn done. And you sleep hard, and you sleep from, from the moment you close your eyes to the moment that alarm goes off, and then you go. Okay, this might sound foreign because of the way you're wired, but... What this is telling us is that at some point, we've got to realize enough is enough. What's my handful? What's a good amount for me? When is enough enough? Because our world will never tell you. Our world will always say, more, 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 more. Oh, look how good you're doing. Get more. Keep going. You're almost there. And you think, okay, maybe a little bit more. But there's never enough. And so rather than going and going and going and trying to do and do and do or just giving up on life because I'll never be enough as anybody else and all those other people, we are given this opportunity to look at our life, be grateful, and to rest with the peace and gratitude of God. And it's hard because, again, you can look at it, people, and there's always going to be people that have skills and things you think you need in your life. But to be able to say, no, this is who God made me to be. I'm not going to be as organized as that person. I'm not, my house is never going to be that beautiful. It's just not. My, my life's never going to be that organized. My yard is never going to be that weed-free, whatever it might be. I'm never going to be the guy who roasts my own coffee beans. Okay, No matter what it is in your life, you have to be, I'm not that person, and that's okay. I'm who God made me to be and to be at peace with that. But envy will always say just a little bit more, and then you'll be satisfied. If you can just have that kind of life, that waist size, okay? You know, if you can have the, that waist she has, if your husband, if you could just find a man that had muscles and hair like that, 
boy. Um, by the way, I'm preaching this at my wife. Hopefully she doesn't <laughs> look for those two. If she's looking for muscles and hair, I'm, I'm in trouble. Um, if you can just get a car that's faster, a house that's nicer, um, if you can just get that, that house that's made 100% out of shiplap, then, then everything will be okay. But envy will never let more be enough. It just won't. And so we are invited by Solomon to realize the powerful truth, again, that nobody tells us, nobody teaches us, that your world will never tell you. You'll never see a commercial about it or a YouTube video about it. But Solomon knew that sometimes less is more. Less can often be more. And the thing that makes Solomon qualified to talk about this is because at his time when he lived, nobody had more than him. He was... Uh, the ruler of one of the most powerful, most wealthy nations that existed in, in the world at that time. He had all the money. He had all the stuff. He had all the opportunity to try all the things. Maybe this adventure will make me happy. Maybe this hobby would be good. He tried it all. He did it all. And he realized, no, at some point, you just have to sit back and say, what I have is enough. And he discovered that maybe even the hard way to realize this was probably by going through a lot would be my guess but he realized that clarity with clarity that more isn't always better and so these verses invite you and I to ask what is better what is enough what is enough because of all this striving when you're chasing after the wind you think you're getting more but there's a cost to that there's a cost maybe it might be you cost yourself your family because you never spent any time with them and you were always at work trying to get more, 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 more. And then at one day when you try to have a relationship with them, they're like, why are you showing up now? You never cared about me when I was a kid. You never cared. Why, who, I was always second place. Do you know how many preacher's kids I went to school with who were so angry at the church for stealing their parents from them? Like, I didn't know a lot when I became a minister, but I knew, like, I don't want my kids to have, the church, have that view of the church when they grow up. They're like, my parents never stopped, never, they didn't, they loved other people's kids more than me. Like, that was, that was a scary thing to hear when, when you don't even have kids yet. But there was more, more, more. Then you'll be happy. Then everything will fit. Then there'll be the minister that everybody loves and everybody cherishes. Then you'll have that. And it can cost sometimes a deep connection with your family because instead of loving them as you should, you're comparing them to other people's kids. Man, her kids are so smart. Her kids look like they always obey and clean their room the first time. Her kids, man, their kids are so athletic. I was athletic in high school, and my kid trips over his own two feet just walking to the bathroom. Like, I wish my kid could be like their kid. I wish, again, I wish, their, wish my husband had muscles like that and hair like that. I wish my wife looked like that. Like, you, you can't really enjoy them and be a part of that family because you're too busy wishing that they were something else, someone else. It costs you sometimes the ability to have true friendships because you're not in the moment being a friend. You're too busy measuring how does my life stack up against their life it gets in the way of so much it has a huge cost when you are chasing after the wind and the only thing it's going to earn you is regret it's the only thing it's going to get you is more and more regret so what is better what are the things that are better to have in your life I recommend getting out a piece of paper and writing down what are the priorities in my life what are the best things put them in order um, because it helps clarify what really matters. And then when you're living your life and thinking, this is getting a little out of hand, a little crazy, you can say, wait, do I really need something down here on the list at the expense of something that's up here on the list? Do I really need more money when family is higher on the list? Um, one thing that being a minister has 
enabled me to have is the privilege of spending time with people who are in the last days of their life and know that they're in the last days of their life. And I do mean that it has been a privilege because I'll tell you what, people who, are, who know their time is short, they have no questions in their minds about what matters. None. They know with crystal clarity what their priorities are and what has the most importance to them, okay? And I'll tell you some things that I have never, ever heard anyone dying in a hospital bed say. I've never had anybody say, oh, I'm so sad. I really hope to mow and fertilize my yard one more time. <laughs> Haven't heard that one? Oh, how I wish I was going to live long enough to see the next iPhone. Haven't heard it? My only regret is I never fit into those smaller jeans. Haven't heard that one? If only I'd been able to put a few more boards of shiplap in my living room. I've never heard that. <laughs> oh, why, oh, why did I not spend more hours at work filling out papers? Never heard it. What they did say, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have made it to more games. I wish I would have said no to that boss, even if he fired me. I wish I would have. That those are, we, we, it becomes very clear to these people, and spending time with them, again, it's a privilege for me because I can learn from their hindsight and, and see, because they're so passionate about the regret. I wish I would have. Man. And the things that we often think are important because we think we've got all the time in the world, it's not. It's not. But envy will happen in your life because you're human, and our world's going to keep throwing things at you. You're going to keep seeing more things you need, more things you want, more people that look like their lives are better than yours. And, and rather, though, than letting that consume our hearts, we have the ability to stop ourselves and then say, whoa, this is something that does not exist. This is not good. It is not holy. It does not honor God. It does not exist to lead to human flourishing. This hoping for more, this envying them, this taking joy when somebody else's life takes a downturn, all of that stuff, all of those manifestations of envy, we have the ability to catch it, recognize it, and turn away from it because of Solomon's wisdom and by the hope of the gospel. And we get to ask ourselves, because of it, again, we get the chance to stop and read this wonderful wisdom that's thousands of years old, and we get asked, wait, what is really better? Is more better? Rarely is it better. What are the things that truly make life worth living? Is it more stuff? or the people that you care about? Is it the never-ending grind, or knowing who you are, and knowing that you were made by God to be who you are, to live the life you live, to love the people that you are in your circle of influence, and just, excuse me, and to just be grateful for that? So, we know the answer to those questions, though. What's, what's most important? The answer is already obvious. You didn't need me to come up here and tell it to you. You didn't need me to tell you that nobody on their deathbed Wishes they could have had a greener lawn. Like, that's why you laugh, because it's absurd. We know the answer to this question, even if it's been around for a while. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Better is one hand and a solid relationship with your kids and your spouse than two hands of them growing up and barely knowing who you are. Better is one hand and a deep, growing relationship with your spouse than two handfuls of having no time for each other as the distance between you grows farther and farther. Better is one hand and a great and great friendships than two hands and having no real spiritual community in your life. Better is one hand and time to pursue and serve your God than two hands with all your time and energy being focused on chasing the wind. And so we've got to figure this out. Where do your priorities lie? What is better? One handful or two? 
one handful of quiet rest and peace or two handfuls of never stopping because despite what every commercial is going to tell you and what every other Instagram reel or or TikTok video is going to show you, sometimes less is more. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, so grateful for the reminder to focus our priorities so that we might not become a people who are driven by envy, become a people who, who spend our entire lives comparing ourselves to others. Our world invites us to do that every day, and we've become so accustomed to it, we don't even question it anymore. We get amazed when people have um, the kind of life we want. We think, man, if only I could, if only I could have that life, then everything would be fine. Then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd be happy with my family. Then I'd be happy with everything. Then, then I could be content. But that's not the answer. The answer is understanding that you are so amazingly good, Father, and you have blessed us as people to be who we are. You've, you've decided we were worth ex existing. You wanted us to be here on this earth so that you could love us, that we have value just by being here. And also, you've blessed us with a place to live and a family to be around and people in our lives, a church family. You've blessed us with so much. And so at some point, we have to choose to be content with what you've given us and to be grateful for what you've given us rather than eternally chasing for more. And so help us to not be the people that make the mistake to get back on that treadmill and run until our life is over and we're full of regret. But rather, people who make the right choices and say, I'm so, I'm so glad God worked in my heart through the Holy Spirit to fight envy so that I could l enjoy the life that he's blessed me with. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.